Welcome to In Conversation with Ocean Physio. In our second series, we're talking to inspirational female athletes and asking what motivates them to achieve their incredible successes? Were they always this way? And what has influenced them along the way? In our latest episode, we're talking to one of the most successful athletes in one of the fastest growing sports in the world, ultra running, which is any race over the length of a normal marathon has exploded in popularity with participation increasing by more than 1,500% in the last 20 years. And we're speaking to one of the best ultra runners in the world, who incidentally is also a physio within the Ocean Physio team. It's Joe Meek. Thanks, Andy. Hi, Joe. <laughs> thanks for the intro. Uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming on our podcast. Yeah, no, that's it's great. I always like to talk about running. It's what I do most of. So, yeah, thank you for inviting me. So, before before we go any further, Joe, I'll just touch your career highlights. So, ultra running. Anyone who knows anything about it knows that there are some must-do races, and your name is associated with all of them. The race that's known as the toughest race on earth, the Marathon de Sable, is an epic six-day race across the Sahara Desert. And you finished second and remain the highest-placed British female ever. You came fifth in the legendary 55-mile Comrades race in South Africa and have excelled in the 106-mile Ultra Trail Mont Blanc, finishing second also in the Everest Trail race in Nepal in a time of just over 27 hours. Heaven knows what anyone else finished in that one. And then you've won numerous other ultramarathons across the globe, including in Russia, India, Vietnam, and represented Great Britain, winning gold in the 100 kilometers World Championship. Joe, it's a stellar global career, and the mind boggles with the distance and the times. But do any of those races stand out in particular? I think um, <clears throat> the Marathon Saab definitely stands out. It was probably my first ultra um and to suddenly go from being nobody on the running scene to my goodness who is she she's come second uh, that so that stands out for, for those reasons and then um there's a race um as part of the utmb called the ccc so it's half the utmb course so um starts in Cormaya in italy and runs to chamonix uh, it's 100k and I came second in that. And because UTMB is such a big race on the on the global running scene, um, I got quite a lot of prominence um, from that and uh, haven't quite replicated that result again, but it was, it was good at the time. So those, those two probably stand out the most at the moment. So just going back to the Marathon de Sable, for people who don't understand or know a lot yeah. about ultra running, so that is a six-day race. And you're running across the desert, really, in the, in the Sahara. So yeah. resting each time. But you have to bring all your own kit. Is so that right? it's completely self-sufficient. They do provide water for you. And they also put up these um, sort of Bedouin tents. Uh, I say tent, it's a bit like a rug that's on some sticks. Um, so there's no sides to it. And then, uh, yeah, you have to carry absolutely everything else. Um, and every day is a set distance and they all, <laughs> I hope that's your dog and not. That's Marley, Marley in the background. <laughs> he obviously thought it was really hard as well. <laughs> He's impressed. He's very impressed. Um, so, um, yeah, and then you have one long stage, which is about 80 kilometres. And I wasn't 
I hadn't really done any ultra running before, so it was that stage that I found the hardest. And how did you prepare yourself for that then? So I took it seriously. It's expensive to enter. So if I was going to spend that much money, on, and I didn't just do it on my own as well. My husband did it. Um, so if we were going to spend that much money, I wanted to make sure I got there prepared. So I actually, apart from normal running training, I actually used a heat chamber for the last two weeks um, going, oh, going into it. Yeah, the College of St. Mark and St. John. They were really good um, in helping me. So what did you do in that? Just sit in it? Or no, no, round. So that we, we, oh. we followed a programme. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I ran for, well, it was about an hour every day for two weeks. And then they, the unfortunate thing is they have to take your temperature when you're running. And the easiest way. Oh, no, yeah. I don't know what's that would come in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't great. So basically I had a tail that I had to, oh. I had to run with. For an hour, which is really hard. In the end, we have to use duct tape to hold it up. <laughs> oh. Pretty bad, but. Um, and what sort of temperature is it in the heat chamber? Um, so I wanted it at the same temperature I was going to be racing at. So it was like 40 to 50 degrees. Um, oh, my God. And, it only, and it's obviously we want to keep the core temperature at a certain pace. There was only one time where I had to come out and um, get cooled down rapidly. Um, and actually... You, ha- you get to cool down rapidly. You have to soak your forearms in cold water. I didn't realise that until then. Oh, really? Is that the way? Yeah. So um, Top tip. Yeah. So, um, and that worked really well. So it meant that when I got out there, not only was my sweat production, you know, in full swing, but it meant my core temperature was just more used to that heat. So, yeah, I didn't feel the heat so much. It was just more the cumulative effects of running for six days on the trot. Um yeah. And how does that work? How does it work if you're running a race with John? Do you run together? Oh, you... no. So we just met at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, he he wasn't that committed. He wasn't interested in running in the heat chamber. In fact, he came along to one session and just stood in his pants. It was just too hot. <laughs> he couldn't do it. So, um, yeah, him and the physiologist were down to their underwear and there was me just running along on it. Oh god! So no, no core temperature checks for that. No, they still have that one. And then the ultramarathon Mont Blanc series, you know, it's sort of festival, isn't it? We're, of running uh, various events. Yeah. And it's it's easy to say, but this is this is a you know serious high running. This is where people go skiing a lot of the time. So it's proper kind of mountain trail running. Oh, and seriously competitive. Seriously competitive, biggest <clears throat> ultra race in the world, really, in terms of how many people want to do it, the prestige of it, and that yeah, they've made it a festival, <clears throat> which keeps seems to be expanding. Um, but the main races currently are you run round Mont Blanc, which is about 100 miles, or you do one half of it, or you do the other half of it. Um, those, those are the three main ones, I would have said. Um, and it's high, yeah, it's mountain passes. So one of the, I've done the, the whole ultra trail um, twice, and one of them, it was minus 10 at the top of the one of the oh. passes. It was freezing. Um, with you know snow and rain and sleet, and the, the other time I've done it, it was glorious sunshine. You know, you just can't predict the weather at all. So I try if I'm going to go and do a race as serious as that, I do try and get out and recce it a little bit and uh, get to know the terrain. And so those races, so the hundred milers, you're not sleeping during them, I. So these are not these these are done as a, as a one. You just kind of go and take the whole thing on. Yeah, keep going until you finish. That's it. So that. My best time on that was about just under 30 hours. And, yeah, you just keep going. 
<laughs> 30 hours of just continuous running and presumably some oh yeah and then lots of walking some, I mean some of the passes are yeah you, you have poles as well which helps some people don't but I took poles so that really helps and they've got food stations that you stop and just yep. get some food yep. in although um, I tended to carry quite a lot of my own and I had um, my husband met me at various checkpoints as well to give me um you know what I'd prefer, but yeah, no, the the food stations are really good. There's usually hot hot soup and hot meals and camp beds if you want them. <laughs> so, so how? So if you if you're finishing up towards the top end at thirty hours, how long? How long do people at the end at the other end of the scale? Yeah, the, the cut off is forty three hours, I think. <laughs> so Two days of just running. Food. My husband did it, and he finished in forty two hours or something like that. Forty hours and. Um, it, I've never seen anyone so tired. Like he literally <laughs> fell asleep in the bath. I'd haul him out of the bath. It was, yeah, it was awful. <laughs> oh god. Okay, so so uh, running was running always important to you? Were you a good runner at school? Did you represent your county and all that sort of stuff? I actually, my mum really struggled to get me in, into any sports. She actually thought I might be musical, so I had to play the violin for a while. But I definitely wasn't musical. Um, and it was only really when I became a teenager that I looked around and I was quite a, a chubby adolescent and I looked around and I thought, oh, I don't want to be chubby anymore. So I started doing a bit of running. And I suppose the other thing that pushed me into running was I never got picked for, you know, any team sports. I was because I was not sporty and therefore hugely uncoordinated. I am. Um, yeah, if you can't play, you know, the team sports, get picked for the netball team, you have to go do cross country running at, at school. So. Um, I think those two factors together probably pushed me in the direction of running. And then I joined a local running club where I used to live in, in Tavistock. Um, and they didn't have a track or anything like that. So what we did was you just went for long runs on the road. Um, so my first you know, in, thing into running was just heading out for a long run. Um, there's also, it's, it's worldwide, but there's a few clubs in in Devon called the Hash House Harriers where you follow sawdust yeah. and my mum and dad did a little bit of that so sometimes I'd go along and um, yeah join them on that activity but yeah on the whole um, I was quite late into running and it wasn't until um, I went to university in London that I thought oh I'll do the London Marathon um, so yeah started training for that so my first thing into really competitive running was um, probably a marathon distance. Having said that, I did do cross-country, you know, leading up to it with the clubs and things. So, um, yeah, so I've always been better at the longer stuff, really. It's quite interesting because on previous podcasts, we talk, spoke to Ray Elston, who didn't start running until he was 50, and Bill Letch. They're, they're incredibly successful now, but at school weren't necessarily the best. Um, it's quite an interesting pattern that's developing there that people excel later in life. You know, in school, you kind of think if you're not one of the best ones there, you're never going to make it. But that kind of grit perhaps has developed. Does you, does you no harm? Yeah, I think also, um, I think if you're going to be really, really good, you do need to start from a, a, be- a reasonably young age, but not necessarily in one sport. I think what the evidence is showing is that you should mix it up a bit. Get your children to do a bit of running, a bit of ball sports, a bit of gymnastics. Um, and that, that creates the better athlete, I think. 
it's quite interesting. So then after university, you then went into the army, didn't you? So right? well, I did it my first, I really wanted to do physio when I first um, got my A-level results, but they just weren't, weren't good enough. I, I mean, I tried hard. I'm just not that academic. So what was left to me through clearing was a sports science degree. So I had a really good time doing that degree, but obviously it didn't really qualify me for anything. Um, <laughs> so I was a bit stuck when I finished. So yeah, I joined the army thinking I quite like camping. So <laughs> did four years in the army. I did a short service commission as an officer in the Royal Logistic Corps. And actually I was much fitter. I'd taken, I'd, by the time I'd done the London Marathon, I'd moved on to triathlon. Um, and so between university and joining the army, I was training a lot, pretty much full time as a triathlete. Um, and then so when I joined the army, I actually lost a bit of fitness. It made me stronger. It probably made me more, more robust. But um, yeah. But you did you did get an award in the army, didn't you? You got the combined sports person of the year for 2004 presented by Prince. Yeah, Bird, didn't no, you? that was. So what, what was that? I, th- for? I think it was it was for running. So I had um, gone through Sandhurst and we, we have a race, a steeplechase race at the end. And I'd come second overall out of all the men and all the women. So that sort of accelerated me to, God, who is this girl? And then I got right. to race in the cross country, um, so army champs, core champs, and then combined services. And uh, yeah, won them. So um, I think it just uh, got accelerated from there into... Um, probably have I just dominated the scene at the time I was just lucky there was no one else about so <laughs> yeah great. it was good so you then went on to become a physio and then relatively recently you've moved back to the west country haven't you so uh, other than the chance to obviously work in the best physio clinic <laughs> in the world um, what brought you back so, I, I, all, I, so we only moved away because of, of work really but um, I, I come from Devon and I wanted to come back to Devon so um it's essentially my love of Dartmoor brought me back um yeah feel, feels like I'm home now I'm not going anywhere again <laughs> does that is that where you do a lot of your training on so Dartmoor? yeah I do so before I left last time I was pretty much a road runner I was training at the marathon distance and then went away and learned to love the trails and running the mountains and so when we moved back it was our priority was to live where we could train through tra- um, on the trails and off-road. So, yeah, we, we moved actually into Dartmoor, which is great. This year, you broke a record on Dartmoor, didn't you? So there's a, a record known as the Nigel Jenkins Dartmoor Round, which is, sounds pretty <laughs> horrendous, but it's a 76-mile round route around the whole of Dartmoor, climbing 28 tours and with 12,000 feet of elevation. And the record was 20 years old. Yeah, so Ni- yeah, that's perfect. That right? So Nigel Jenkins, he won one New Year's Eve. He went out and uh, had planned this route um, and had to, it was the eve of the millennium and had to get in before pubs closed. So it was pretty foul weather. He did it midwinter. Um, yeah, and he clocked a fantastic time of, uh, yeah, near 20 hours. Um, and since then, hardly any people have tried but this summer, because we haven't been able to race, it's become really popular. Um, so I thought that is definitely the challenge for me. And you did it in a time of 14 and yeah, a half so, hours. Uh, the, so that was taking a lot of time. The record off the was record. coming down, down, and there's been a couple of chaps had done it. And when I looked at how they did it, the route, you know, they, they got the route right, but actually the logistics wasn't, wasn't that great. So I applied um, my logistics skills. Uh, 
to the race and yeah annihilated it on that front really so it worked really well on the, on the note of Marley Bath in the background so t- tell me um about Border Terrier so did did having a Border Terrier help you no, honestly he was the worst runner ever <laughs> I got the worst dog for running with but he he really liked licking the sweat off my legs at the end <laughs> what, what was, what's the story about the squirrels though? so yeah so I used to where we, we, we used to live in Devon we had this wooded trail and it was only about five miles so we thought well we could take the dog but he always chased after the squirrels and so what we ended up doing was following him so it became rather than a fart lick session so speed play we, we called it squirrels and I said if I do well in the marathon the Saab I'm going to have to get a tattoo of a squirrel because a lot of our training was based just chasing the dog who was chasing the squirrel. Um, and, yeah, I did. So I did get a tattoo of a squirrel. So what does a normal training, training week look like now? So I do about 70 miles a week. And my philosophy is when I work hard, work really hard. And when I run easy, I run easy. And that seems to work quite well. So I tend to do re- two really hard sessions a week and the, and the rest, one, one steady and the rest relatively easy. Of those 70 miles, what percentage would be hard rest? Probably only 20 miles. Yeah. Okay. So still a reasonable percentage yeah. of, of that. Because, you know, I've asked people before whether they follow the Western approach of train hard, race easy, or the Kenyan philosophy of training consistently but never actually at 100% effort. And doing the hundred percent just for races, I'm so like you're that. somewhere yeah, in between. Yeah, I would say I'm yeah. probably more oh, Kenyan. Kenyan. I never really thought of it like that, yeah. but um, I'm definitely a slightly lazy trainer. But when I come to racing, it's just a different mindset. But the two sessions I do, I, I, I don't leave much out there. And are they consistent efforts, or are they interval? Yeah, bit of both. So sometimes it will be a consistent effort, and sometimes it will be an interval. Sometimes it'll be a mix of two of them. And I take them fairly seriously. So. Because I'm such a good long distance runner, I tend to fat burn. And when you fat burn, you don't. Um, it's quite hard to up your heart rate. So I, I, I make sure I do the efforts, having had you know breakfast or some food, because I tend to run in the morning, and therefore I can tap into my right. glycogen stores a bit better. When you're training, do you monitor pace, heart rate, mileage, distance, any of those things, or what, what do you what What's the key thing that you look at to know? whether you're training or is it just perceived that no, no it's not I don't think I if I if I'm doing a hard session I will look at heart rate but I don't wear my heart rate monitor at any other time so if it's an easy run I go by you know does this feel easy um and then uh I'm, I'm stuck unfortunately I'm stuck in the ways of being a marathon runner so I do tend to look at mileage or how much miles I do a week rather than and you found that roughly 70 miles, which is a reasonable you know, amount. For, for uh, me, that's... A massive amount for normal people, but like, it, it, it is the right yeah, level Yeah, because, you know, work's quite physical. Um, and then I'm uh, obviously I've got, you know, uh, other commitments. So that's for me, if I'm looking at trying to peak for a race, then I might push it up to about 90 miles, but that usually coincides with having to maybe recce a route or something to go, you know, into the mountains and do a couple of back-to-back days. But yeah, normally I comfortably sit about 70. And how, how many weeks in a given year would you train? So in a 52 week year, how many weeks would you train? Pretty much most of them. 
So um, if I've done a really hard race, I will take maybe one or two weeks off, but I'll still probably cross train in the second week. Um, I found if I stop completely, I will literally fall apart. I think my body is held together by sinews of effort now. <laughs> yeah, I just <laughs> can't. If I stop, then getting back into it takes, well, I just pick up niggles and all sorts. So I have to keep going. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because we did a marathon. I not I wouldn't say, I, I'm not going to say together because we did a marathon at the same yeah. place. I trained really hard and, and tapered just before, and as I was supposed to do, and you ran a 50-mile race in Russia the week before, and then just turned up on the day and absolutely annihilated the course. Uh, so, it, presumably, just continuing to run in some way, that consistency really works for you, rather yeah. than having bursts of three or four months of training yeah. at a time. Consistency is key. And when I look back over my years of training, you know, that, it, that's been when I've had the best races, uh, along with making sure you get good sleep and good food. Um, it's, yeah, so it comes as a package. So unfortunately, running is a complete, uh, it rules your life. It's like a third person in your relationship. <laughs> um, it's, on, on that note, so you touched on that. Do you have a special diet? Or, you know, no, I don't. You... I mean, I don't eat meat. Um, so I, I, I've gone through phases with that. I was a vegetarian for 12 years, and then I thought, oh, I should try it. It might be good for iron levels. And I went back to it, and I, was, I ate meat for about, mainly um, red meat for about five years. But actually, since moving back to Devon and um, where I live, there's some really sweet highland cattle, especially the babies. And I just, I just, <laughs> I can't <laughs> eat them. <laughs> so I've, yeah, I've gone vegetarian oh. again. But that's not actually that uncommon in um, ultra running. No, there's some really, elite, really weird diets runners. out there. Um, there's a lot of veganism um, and there's a lot of people that won't eat carbohydrate and they'll stick to just fats. Um, I actually don't think that's good for long distance running at all. I think we're made, we're designed to use carbohydrate as a fuel source. Um, and we don't know the effects, especially in a couple of years on people's hormones. So with ultra running, there's a big problem with burnout. And I think that the diet you choose exacerbates that quicker. So um, I eat everything in moderation, except I don't eat red meat, basically. Um, I, yeah, I eat what oh, okay. I want when I want. Um, and what about on the actual, anyone you know, on the actual races, ultra running races? Because I, you know, on that marathon that we did, I spectacularly <laughs> vomited when I, when I drove across the line. How do you kind of manage to? keep some food in for 27 hours or 30 hours or 14 hours you know it's, it's, it's the same it's, time so it's really hard it's so you know i can go for so if i'm doing a faster road race then i'll probably just stick to gels and sort of the easy things to swallow um sort of energy chews um but if it's going to be a trail race where you know there's opportunities for walking and it's a slower pace and obviously you've got more chance of eating real food so I tend to eat quite a lot of flapjacks that sort of thing but I struggle I do struggle with sickness and just feeling nauseous after a certain amount of time and you you plan to take stuff and when you get to what food you've got you think I really don't want that Um, and and then you see you know there's tables of food and it's the weirdest things that appeal to you so you know cheese often appeals um, 
Um, people, you people that eat meat, there's quite a lot of salami, that sort of thing. But yeah, no, I, I struggle with sickness as well. It's, um, I don't think this long running distance is good for you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so what I have periods of motivation where I have three or four months of doing quite a lot, two or three months of doing nothing. What motivates you to keep going? Is it events or is it just something that you just, it's just in you? Do you know, you I think it's doing? just in me because we've had no events this year and yet I haven't stopped. Um, I made the event where I went round Dartmoor, you know, happen myself. Um so I think intrinsically, the thing is, I've now been running for a good 20 years and I don't know anything else. If it was taken out of my life, like when I'm injured, I'm fairly grumpy um, and I have to substitute it with yeah. cycling or swimming, which is a bit more of an effort. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just don't know any difference. So the motivation to, to run is intrinsically in me, I think. But I also love the feeling of trying to always improve or at least maintain what I've got. So I don't find it too hard to, you know, fit in a hard run. Um, yeah, I mean, if I'm struggling for motivation because the weather's bad or I, t- I just tend to phone up a friend and say, do you want to run together? And that works really well. Well, well I was going to ask you about that. So do you prefer training on your own or with a group or with another uh, person? Yeah, you know, I love training course? with other people. It's just the opportunity to do so is quite hard because I tend to run in the morning before work. So at weekends, I, I always train with other people. Um, yeah, makes, that makes it much more fun. And I've got some good friends that are now getting used to the fact that when I say, let's go and do 15, I actually mean 20. <laughs> they know. <laughs> they know. So what, what motivates you now? So what's next? Have you got anything else in the calendar? So this year up? has been a complete write-off and all the races that I'm meant to do this year have been moved to next year. So my next race in March is a race in Sri Lanka, if it goes ahead. And it's a stage race again. So five or six days, about 250 kilometres. Um, so that will be, yeah, hopefully we'll get to go. Um, that would be, oh, be amazing, yeah, exactly. And then, then there's a few races. Yeah. Well, there's quite a few races after that. But I have also got my eye on running the Southwest Coast Path. So the the women's oh, wow. the women's record the is 14 days. The men's record is 10 days. So maybe somewhere in the middle to aim for. So just take me through that Southwest Coast Path. It's well, either Minehead or Pool. But I think I'd start in Pool and run to Minehead. Um, and literally just keep us wow. 630 how far miles. <laughs> I know, <laughs> even when I say that, it sounds ridiculous. I'm not entirely sure I'm physically capable. I don't know. It's such a big thing. I've never done anything like that before. Six. 630 miles in 12 days or 14 days. That, that is but it's the amount insane. of elevation. It is it's just it's like. Oh, well, yeah, exactly. Just walking. A tiny bit of it. It's like 30,000 metres of elevation. Yeah. So so I'm beginning to, uh, yeah, get my head around that idea. Uh, And the logistics of that, does John help you with the logistics of that? So I would need some help with that. The problem is it's two weeks and he couldn't take two weeks annual leave. So I've also got some amazingly brilliant friends um, who'd be willing to to help with that so yeah i've been running there with them this summer uh a girl called Chan and a lady called Chan and, and a lady called claire so yeah they, they're going to help out as well so yeah wow and when would that would be in the so summer either may or september the best times 
So yeah. when it's not too hot. Exactly. Too but May, the thing is, I know it's going to write me off for a good couple of months. So I'm probably looking towards September, whether it be this September on, as in 2021 or 2022, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, that's that's the plan. Some, well, that's a massive, that's a goal. massive goal. Yeah. <laughs> so just if, if anyone, because as I said, ultra running's gone, it's exploded in popularity, hasn't it? So, And I, I speak to, and you probably speak to loads of people who thought about doing an ultra. Uh, so have you got any advice for anyone who's looking to go beyond the marathon distance and move into ultra? So, yeah, you're right. Loads of people are, and it's becoming the thing where you don't look for a marathon to do at the weekend or you know, to challenge yourself. You look for an ultra. The, the great thing about ultras is a lot of them are off-road. So they take you to beautiful parts of the world or country that normally you wouldn't get to because sometimes it's through private you know, land. So I would say I wouldn't when you train for a marathon, you, you tend to run up to 20 miles. I wouldn't vary your training much to move up to an ultra. It's not like I'm going to run, you know, 50 miles. That means I must run at least 40 miles in training. It doesn't really work like that. So choose your choose a goal that's going to motivate you because if it doesn't inspire you, then it, it's not you know it won't drag you out through your training runs. And the other thing is, I think just be kind to yourself. There, you, people walk in ultras, so don't think that that you know you can't do that. So your first ultra, I would just say choose one that inspires you and make it enjoyable. Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't leave it all in your training either by doing too long a run um, when you're trying to build up for it. Yeah, and the rest is is trial and error. So finding what food you want to eat is so difficult. Um, but just make sure you've tried all the food you're going to eat and on a training run and all the clothes and shoes, you know, you're going to run in. Make sure it's comfortable because there's nothing worse, you know, get, 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 getting a blister or having some chafing. That's literally an end, end game. <laughs> but they're so small. They're so small. It's all over. But they're so painful. I know, but over, over long distances. <laughs> And I think perhaps some of the appeal for people with ultras is if you say you're going to do a marathon, the next question people always ask is what time did you do without really having any concept of how difficult it is to run a four or five, three hour marathon. It is very, very difficult. And the pacing is is so hard to get right. But perhaps on ultras, people are just so chuffed that you've done one because the distances are just... You know, even 50 kilometres, 50 miles, you know, I know you do much more than that, but it's such a long way and just to do it. Yeah, the, enough, only, it? the only type of ultras where people say, you know, what time did you do would be if you'd run 100k on the road um, because yeah. it's measurable. Or if you do comrades um, in South Africa, it's a big 90 mile race because it's, yeah, it's all measurable. But I still think actually the marathon distance is the hardest difference. You know, it, it, you're right. It is all about the time. Um, it's it's then the clock never lies. It's just relentless. It's so hard. You've got to keep at that pace. Um, whereas, yeah, if you don't have that threshold pace in, in ultra running, it's it's, it's much more pleasant. <laughs> right, Joe. It's been an absolute pleasure. <clears throat> so much for your time and the words of wisdom for everyone. Uh, I'll probably let you thanks, Sandy. No, it's been it's great to talk about running. If anyone's got any questions, they can uh, just ping us a message. Um, I'm on. Yeah. That would be great. Brilliant. Always happy to talk about running. So thank you. Cool. Lovely. Take oh, care. Thanks, Joe. It's so great to talk to Joe about her running. What she's managed to achieve in her life and career in running is just beyond belief. The distances involved, 
the time she runs them in, it's just impossible to comprehend. We wish her all the best for her next challenge round the southwest coast path, trying to break that record. If anyone can manage it, Joe can. Thanks a lot for your time, Joe.